You know, last week we started this short series on Jonah just to get an idea of who he is and what he was like, and, and I just talked about the fact that the big fish or the whale or the sea monster or whatever it was is really not the main focus. A lot of people look at Jonah, and that's what they want to talk about is Jonah and the whale, and you know, we, we don't even know if it was a whale. I, I think if we have a miraculous God who can create the heavens and the earth, he can create any kind of fish he wants or any kind of whale he wants. And uh, we don't have to know exactly what type it was. You know, I, I read one thing. It was a sperm whale because they have a large throat and they could get it down and they just have teeth on the bottom of their jaw. And so maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Uh, in, in my New American Standard, when I go into the New Testament, it calls it a sea monster. In, in the passage in Jonah, it talks about a large fish and uh, went into the stomach of the fish, so it doesn't really give us all of the important information there. But the book, book of Jonah really has a lot to do with how much God loves people, how much God loves sinful people like the Ninevites, who were probably the most wicked people in the world at that time. Uh, they were an empire that was, man, it just devastated other nations and towns and cities, and they would go in and uh, pillage those places and destroy them. And so they were, they were feared, greatly feared. Uh, we talked about the fact that when God called Jonah to go there and cry against Nineveh and their wickedness, um, Jonah went the other way. You remember we talked about that. We're going to talk about it a little more, but... He began to run in the opposite direction, and we're going to talk about what would cause someone to run this morning. I, I want to talk a little bit about what causes us to run from the will of God. Uh, are we willing to do what God calls us to do? Are we willing to do what God desires for us to do, and why or why not? And so we want to look at that. But Jonah was uh, go, called to go to a city by the name of Nineveh. It was about 450 miles from where he was, and it was an exceedingly large city. I'm told it was, well, one person gave the estimate that it was maybe 600,000 people. That was his estimation. Another person estimated a little differently and said he thought it was somewhere between 2 million and 2,500,000 people. So we don't know exactly how many were there, but we know that it was an exceedingly large city. In fact, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 3, uh, I don't know whether this was to walk around it or walk through it. I know it took Jonah a day. The first day he was walking through it and he was crying out, God, about the third way to through. But it says in chapter 3, verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Boy, how far can you walk in three days? Quite a ways. And so it was a huge city. And Jonah was called. And so when I think of the call of God, God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. He calls us to be faithful in our witness. He calls us to minister to other people. And one way we can do that is through the shoeboxes. So I wanted to start this morning with... Uh, a short video that talks about an individual that would take the shoeboxes up into the mountainous areas of Mexico. You know, you look at that and you think, here was a man who had polio when he was about two years of age. The way he got around was to sit on a little scooter. And uh, when God called him to go to the mountains of Mexico, he could very easily have said, like Jonah, man, that's just too hard. I can't do that. 
No, God, I think you want somebody else to go, not me. I'm not the one that should be going. There are others that are much healthier and stronger, and they can move quicker, and they can accomplish more. And yet this man said yes, and God's using him to reach the people there. And you can be part of that because you can give a shoebox. Your shoebox may make a difference for some child. We're going to be looking at a number of different videos like that, and they are true videos of what's taking place But here was a man who could have said no, and he didn't. When I look at Jonah, I want to go back to this book again this morning. And in those first two verses, let me read them to you once again. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, get up, go quick, don't waste time. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. And I mentioned that, uh, boy, it would have been easy for Jonah well, it was to go the other way. He wanted to run. He didn't want to go where God wanted him to go, did he? And so he took off for a, a different, in a different direction. You go down to verse 3, and it says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Could have been down around the Straits of Gibraltar, somewhere off of the coast of Spain, or the presence of the Lord. But he ran from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, when you think about doing God's will, what, uh, what are the benefits? Why do we do it? Why would we want to live in obedience to God? Number one is because it glorifies God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If we are living in rebellion, going the opposite direction, that's not going to glorify God very much, is it? And it's not doing accomplish the things that God wants us to do. Uh, when we begin to think of this, it glorifies God. Another one thing it does is it brings benefit to others. Um, if Jonah had not gone to Nineveh, the Ninevites would have never heard that God loved them. And you see, unless we share in that way, this isn't the only idea of running from God, but unless we share as God calls us to, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. He says, you'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. And if Jonah had not gone, the Ninevites would never have heard. I, I believe also when the Ninevites heard what Jonah preached, it held them accountable for their actions. If you go back to Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. In Jonah 4, verse 2, it talks about what happened when they responded. And it says, In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious. And this is Jonah responding to God. He was unhappy because the Ninevites had heard and responded He says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You're the one who relents concerning calamity. And you see, Jonah didn't want that to happen with the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. And so he wanted them to be lost. But I believe that the Ninevites, when they come and they stand before God at the great white throne judgment, will be held accountable for what they know. And without any knowledge, there's no accountability, really. They could say, well, God, you weren't fair. You didn't tell us that we were sinners, that we were wicked, that we were doing the wrong thing. And yet God sent them Jonah. And because God sent them Jonah, we know that they responded for a period of time. 
We, uh, we as Christians have the opportunity to obey or disobey God's will. God's desire for us. We make that choice. We have a choice whether we're going to do the things that God wants us to do or, like Jonah, run the opposite direction. The Bible says that when we rebel against God, when we go the opposite direction, what does it call it? Anybody know what it's called? Sin. Sin. It's a simple little word. Three little letters, S-I-N. It's not a big word. In fact, I think we kind of downplay sin. Sin's probably not a very big deal for us anymore. We, uh, we have a child, and we tell them they're a sinner. Do you know how they're a sinner? Because they do bad things. Well, what kind of things do you do? You don't obey mommy and daddy. You tell lies sometimes. Sometimes you take things that aren't yours. And we get this idea that sin isn't a very big deal. It's just kind of that little white lie. It's something that really isn't important. But if you talk about someone being rebellious... Boy, that's a, that's a totally different thing in our society and culture, isn't it? We think about rebellion and rebellious people, and boy, they're moving in the opposite direction of where they should go, and they're not submitting to the authority over them, and they're not doing the things they should. And So here was Jonah, and it wasn't just that he was sinning against God. He was rebellious. It isn't the Ninevites were just sinning against God. They were a rebellious people. And sin is a terrible thing. It says God hates sin. But I'm using that term this morning to kind of make the point. And so Jonah turned and he ran the opposite way because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. We go down to verse 4 and it says, The Lord, in order to get Jonah's attention, hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Man, that was a, that was a tough storm. And then the sailors began or became afraid. These are people that were used to being on the sea. They were used to storms. They were used to big winds. When the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God, they all had other gods, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship. He had lain down and fallen sound asleep. And I think it's interesting how God uses storms in our lives. Sometimes he uses storms to build our faith and to get our attention. I think of the book of Mark where uh, the disciples had gone out to the sea and they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee. And you remember Jesus was tired and he went into the back of the ship, that boat, to lie down and to sleep. And the storm came up and and the disciples became fearful and they woke him up and said, Don't you care that we're going to perish? And what did Jesus do? He looked at the wind and the waves and he said, peace be still. And immediately they died. Because you see, God has control of weather. We hear a lot about weather today. There was another storm though, and it's a storm that Jonah was in. And it was not to simply build his faith. It was a disciplinary action. It was to get, it was to get Jonah's attention Because Jonah was running the other way. And and God needed to bring him back. He needed to get his attention. And it says even here, as Jesus was sleeping in the storm, so was Jonah. Um, You know, I think how easy it is sometimes when we're not going the direction God wants us to go. 
to become very self-satisfied and comfortable in our situation. In fact, we're kind of happy sometimes. I, I think of people who no longer uh, attend the body of Christ. They're no longer part of a church or they're no longer serving in the community of, of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, they're, they're doing their thing and they're going here and going there and they're, they're happy about their life and where they are. And sometimes that's how people are when they're separated from God. Storms. Um, I remember as I was commercial fishing what it was like when the winds would come up and it would get a little bit uh, rough out there. And I could go in the bottom of that boat, I could go down there and I could go to sleep and sleep through all in the wind and the waves. Because you see, when you're down in, that, in the hold... It's fairly calm. The boat's going like this. When you get up on deck, now it's going like this. But I remember one year that the light went out on the mast, and my brother had to climb up on that mast, and he had to replace the light. And when he got up on the mast, as high as he could get in that 50-foot fishing boat, it was going like this. And so the, the sailors were up on the deck, and they were moving, but Jonah was down there, and he was sleeping. And I think he was just satisfied with what he was. He was getting away from God. He probably thought God only existed in Israel or in Judah or in Jerusalem. And if he ran to Spain, God wouldn't be there. But you see, what do we know about God? Jonah even said it. He said, God is the creator. The one I, I worship is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he's involved in everything. He controls everything. Today we have a lot of thoughts about why we have storms. We have hurricanes. We have tornadoes. We have firestorms. We have all of those things. And I'm not going to say that God causes them to get our attention or a disciplinary action. But I think sometimes as individuals we need to stop and ask why are things happening the way they're happening we come up with all kinds of great reasons we there was global cooling and global warming and there is uh, climate change and a lot of those things and that may be the issue but how is God using that why are we going through the storms I, I just had to kind of ask myself when I was going through this book on Jonah but I want to ask you this morning because as Christians, sometimes we run from God. We run from God's will. Let me, let me give you a, a definition that I wrote down uh, for running from God. It's acting in direct rebellion to the will of God. It may mean that I don't go share my faith with others, but it may mean that I disobey God in terms of my moral life. It may mean I disobey God in terms of my time and how I use it. It can be any number of things where we don't want to do what God wants us to do. We don't really care for what God's will is, and we go another way. And so I want to give you five reasons that we may disobey God, five reasons that we may run from God and the first one is doing what God wills is just too much trouble. I'm a busy person. I've got a lot going on in my life. You know, don't you think Jonah felt that way? If you go back and you study in the, in the book of 2 Kings, it says that he was a prophet in the land where he lived. He was one that prophesied that the land would expand its borders. 
Jeroboam II was king at that point, and certainly it expanded. And so I imagine people kind of looked up to Jonah. And Jonah had probably a rather smug attitude about himself. Maybe he saw himself as a, uh, the voice to the king. You know, he was the one the king listened to. And, and, and to leave and go to Nineveh, 450 miles away, boy, that was a long ways off. And it would just be something that was, boy, it would take him away from doing those things that he thought were so important. And, and you know, 450 miles, he didn't have a plane. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a train. He didn't have any of those things we had today. I would imagine Jonah would probably walk. Now, he may have had a camel or a donkey, but in all probability, Jonah would have walked 450 miles. It wasn't just a matter of three days through the city. It was getting there. And Jonah was probably thinking, this is a lot of work. It would be like God calling you and I and saying, I want you to go to L.A., I want you to go to San Diego, I want you to walk down there, and I want you to become a street preacher and tell them how sinful they are. And most of us would probably say, you've got to be kidding, God. I'm not going to do that. I've got things going on at home. I've got my family. I've got my activities. I've got responsibilities. And I think Jonah could have said that. Uh, as I was doing this message, I, I was thinking about how do we reach our community? What do we do? <clears throat> we go door to door and knock on the doors and talk to people about Jesus Christ, and I would imagine there are some who would respond in a positive way. Years ago, I used to send out postcards. We'd do mass mailings, and whew, it was expensive. And we didn't see very many people come, but you can, you can do some of those things. Those are things people do. I remember years ago, I would write a newsletter, and I would farm a certain group of homes, and I would go to those homes with that newsletter. It had things like, oh, some advice for how to live, maybe a biblical passage about something, a verse. I probably had a recipe in there. Uh, some of the current events going on in the community, I would add into that. I'd have a little gift in each one of the envelopes, and I'd go and I'd give them to people, knock on the door, and just tell them I was from the church I was at, and who I was, and they'd take it. And, and some of the ladies, wow, they loved my recipes. They wanted to get the recipe book. Well, it was just people in our church that uh, had recipes, and I'd ask for them. And I was thinking about all those things and thinking, but we have programs. We have outreach events. We put time into those, and... Reminded by several people, as I mentioned those, but people don't seem to come afterwards, so is it important? And as I was looking through all of this, uh, a name came to mind. A person I had met a couple of weeks ago, come to an event at church, and I was going to call him or he was going to call me, and man, I couldn't get his name off of my mind while I was doing this. You know, God sometimes taps us on the shoulder. And he says, I've got this person I want you to talk to. And so I called him up, and uh, man, he was happy to hear from me. He said, this is great. And we talked about the fact Darlene and I are going to go on a little road trip. And I said, We'd love to, I'd love to get together with you after we get back. And he said, oh, that would be great. And we just talked, and, and he was friendly. And I thought, this is, this is a good thing. And you know, it's kind of like God has that individual in your life, not just mine, 
But periodically, he may tap you on the shoulder and say, why don't you call this person? Why don't you go out to lunch with this person? Why don't you build a relationship with this person? Well, this week, he called me again, and he said, Andy, he says, I I think maybe you have a better connection with the guy up there. Would you pray for a family member of mine? I need your prayer. Do you know what? He never would have called and asked for that if I hadn't called him. We have people in our lives that don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, I would tell you today, if we have an outreach, outreaches start a year before. When you have maybe three, four people and you write them down and you begin to pray for them. And you go to lunch with them and you spend time with them. And when the outreach event comes at church, you say, hey, would you like to go with me? We can't just plan an event and throw it and hope that people show up because they don't. And even when we invite them, if we haven't been developing that relationship, they're probably not going to come. I think Corwin said it very well. He said if they come to an event in our church where they feel very comfortable, such as um, the fundraiser for the youth here in a couple of weeks, there's a good chance they may come back on Sunday morning. They may hear the gospel. That's exactly where it's to be, and sometimes I believe God calls us. In fact, I believe he calls the congregation to reach into their community, to reach people that they know. We can have an evangelistic speaker come. You can have someone come and do a a whole week of meetings. But unless the congregation and you and I, the family of the church, has built relationships, the only people that will come and hear him are you and I. And so when God called Jonah, he says, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, he says to each and every one of us, I've got a job. And we have to be open and say, yeah, I'm just, I'm willing. Because too, it's too easy to simply say, I'm busy. I've got other things going on in my life. And I think that's one of the things that keeps us from going. Jonah didn't want to go that far. Another thing that keeps us from obeying God is fear, especially when it comes to talking to people. We, we're fearful of where people might be or what may go on. We're fearful we won't have the words to say. Such fear doesn't come from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God didn't give us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And when we have that opportunity to share, God, God gives us the message. He helps us to know what to share. Uh, I, I'm not suggesting you pick the hardest place in town to go to to share with people. You know, I'm, my mind was thinking about it. <sighs> If I had fear, it would be that I go to the the toughest bar in town, the biker bar, and I climb up on the counter and I said, Oh, rise, you people, you're sinful. You're going to all burn if you don't turn. And you know, what do you think they'd do to me? (laughs) Yeah, I'd have reason to fear. But for most people, when you share with them, especially if you build a relationship, they're positive. You know, a definition of witnessing, and I want to move through this quickly, is just sharing Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I I don't win anybody to the Lord. I simply share, and God does the work. 
I think another reason Jonah probably didn't want to go to Nineveh was he didn't have much in common with them. There was a racial difference there. They weren't of the same race. He was an Israelite. They were Assyrians. There was a spiritual difference. Uh, he had one God. They had many gods who Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, really aren't gods at all. They're just pieces of wood and metal and, and rock, and they really weren't gods. So I think Jonah probably had an issue with the differences. Why should I go there, Father? We're, we're not the same. We like to go to people that are very similar to us. But God had called him to go. The fourth reason is that maybe they, he just didn't think they would be interested in hearing. How often do we think about people that we know and say, wow, they really wouldn't be interested in Christianity? They wouldn't be interested in hearing that Jesus loves them and he has a concern for them. They're different than us. They have different values than we have. They have different moral values than we have. Why, why would we go? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, because God loves them. Number two, because they're lost. Number three is because that's what God called us to do. You know, the uh, missionary era started probably with Jonah way before Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to go to this great city. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. But in the 1800s, there was a a change in Christianity. In the 1800s, 1900s, all of a sudden individuals were going across the world to share the gospel with others. It started with people like William Carey that went to India and Adoniram Judson went to India and then down to Burma and Hudson Taylor started the China Inland Missions and David Livingston went to Africa. And I know that a lot of their friends were saying, what are you doing? Why are you going? Because that's what God wants us to do. Today there are hundreds and thousands of missionaries across the world. Do you know that there are missionaries coming from Korea to the United States to reach us? Because they see America as a lost nation. Or a nation that's becoming lost. Other nations, they're coming into America to reach the lost and God calls us to go. He calls us to be evangelists. <clears throat> I think too often as Christians, instead of going out where the fish are, we tend to evangelize in the fish tank. Do you know what I'm talking about? Fish tank's where we are. This is our fish tank. And so we try to evangelize the people in our church. Or sometimes we'll even evangelize other people's fish tanks. That's the church down the road. We have evangelistic activities. We have outreach activities. And we go invite all of our friends that are Christians because we know they're going to enjoy it. But they're probably not who need to hear it. God didn't call us to do that. That's, that's just moving people around in the kingdom of God. What God wants us to do is reach those who do not know him. And then I'm going to give you a fifth reason. And I think this was Jonah's reason. And that is he just didn't like the people of Nineveh. Do you know what? It'd be better if God just wiped them off the face of the earth. The earth would be better off without them. And 
And that would be the end of them. They deserve judgment, not salvation. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve love. They don't deserve grace. Father, take them out. The Assyrians were violent people. They were angry people. And you know what? I think most people like Jonah would love to have seen them gone. Do we have that problem in America? Probably. I know people that have very little love for the president and would love to see him gone. I don't hear them talking very much about his spiritual well-being. On the other side, I have people that say the same things about everybody running for the president from the Democratic side and would just love to see him wiped out and taken away. And they aren't very concerned about their spiritual well-being. We have all kinds of people that we don't get along with. God loved the Ninevites and he cared about them and what was going on, but some people can't love people's socialistic winnings. And others don't like people that have <laughs> capitalistic leanings. One percent are all bad. Do you know that? They're the rich guys. And others down here aren't good either. The homeless, we need to remove them and get rid of them. And what we fail to do is realize as Christians, one way or another, it doesn't matter who they are, that God loves them. I've rushed through this today because we didn't really have time to spend on much of it, but I want you to know something. If, if we're running from God, it's usually because we're not happy with what God wants us to do or how God wants us to live or some of the things that are important to God. We don't go talk to other people because sometimes we're fearful of how they're going to respond and that bothers us to think that they may reject us, they may reject our beliefs, they may reject who we are and we're, we're going to feel a little bit intimidated because of that and it has everything to do with us and nothing to do with God. Or we tend to look at people whose lives are a little different than us and simply say, I don't think they'd be interested I, I don't think they're concerned about these things or we just don't have much in common or we don't like them very much. I hope those aren't your attitudes. When I talk about running from God, I, I didn't want to do just an evangelistic outreach type message. We need that periodically. We run from God for a lot of different reasons. We want to go have fun and we don't think what he wants me to do is much fun. So we go our way. We're concerned when God doesn't come along and take a hold of us and encourage us and bless us and build us up and take away our anxieties and our fears. And so we run. God wants us to run back to him. It's a message... That was for me as much as for anybody else. Because I've, I've been thinking about how, how do I become more effective 
at reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if I don't do it, if we don't do it, the people living on our streets won't know Jesus. And they pay the penalty for that. And so we need to look at how we as a church, and I as an individual, can be the most effective at doing what God called us to do. And rather than being a Jonah and running off some other direction, we run back to where God wants us to be and accomplish the work that God wants us to accomplish. Let's pray. Father, I think of the man in Mexico. We can help him by sending shoeboxes, and maybe we'll be satisfied with that, but it probably isn't enough. Unless our heart's right. It's not just giving a present. It's not just, whoa, can we give 300 shoeboxes? It's a matter of what does each shoebox do and what child is touched and what family will be touched and what community does it make a difference in. How do we assist a man like that individual in Mexico? He was the only one going into the mountain. He was the only one reaching out to those people. And yet here he was struggling because of polio as a child. And his motivation, the way he motivated and got around was on a scooter. We would think, well, can't, can't we get him something better? But Father, he uses what he has. He uses what you've provided for him. And he does that which is the most important thing that he can think to do. And that is take the message of Jesus Christ into the mountains of Mexico. And there are children coming to know the Lord. And there are adults coming to know the Lord because of this man. And we support him through our boxes. But Father, we also need to support him through our prayers. In other ways that we can, people just like him who are sharing the gospel around the world. And Father, maybe there's somebody in this congregation and you would call them to go, just like Jonah, you would say, I want you to go to, and it may be someplace on the map that isn't even close to us. Or you may say to someone in this congregation, I want you to go across the street. And just build a relationship with those people where ultimately Jesus Christ might be seen in us. Father, might we obedient, be obedient to your will, doing that which you desire. Thank you, Father, for Jonah. Thank you for not his willingness to go because he didn't want to go. And even when he did, he was kind of angry. But Father, thank you for the lesson we see in Jonah to follow and run after you and your will. Might we as a church be faithful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.